Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Evening, we're going to be in 1 Kings 4 and 5. And the last time we looked at the new king, Solomon, getting his bearings, using God's wisdom, but also exhibiting behaviors and habits that cause him problems later in life. And I'm sure we can all um, attest to that. I mean, we're human beings. He was a human being. We look at his life. He was very successful, but he, you know, he had these behaviors and these habits that started to poison him, especially towards the end, and hurt the kingdom. Tonight we're going to cover chapters 4 and 5. It does not, it's, it's mostly administrative stuff, but there's some good um, you know, applications in there. And it's preparing to build the temple. Remember, it was Solomon that built the temple. Right? David was the man of war. Uh, the tabernacle was moving around. Uh, the, the ark was all, all over the place. Under Solomon, eventually the temple was built with the Holy of Holies and the table of showbread and the incense and light and all that stuff. So it was like a more of a permanent structure. For those of you that are not familiar with that, that was the spiritual seat in Jerusalem. So jumping in in 1 Kings 4, starting with verse 1, it says, So King Solomon was king over all Israel. And these were his officials, Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest, Elihoreph, and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, scribes, Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, the recorder, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army, Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Azariah, the son of Nathan, over the officers, Zabud, the son of Nathan, a priest, and the king's friend. King needs some friends, too. You know, it's important, right? It's lonely at the top. Uh, verse 6, Ahishar, over the household, and Adonor, well, say that again, Adoniram, the son of Abda, over the labor force. I'm sure if they read our names, they would probably giggle and mispronounce them as well. Uh, and Solomon had 12 governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. These are their names. Ben-Hur in the mountains of Ephraim, Ben-Decker in Mekaz, Shalbim, Beth Shemesh, and Elon Beth Hanan, Ben-Hesed in Aruboth. To him belonged Socha and all the land of Hefer. Ben Abinadab in all the regions of Dor, he had Tapheth, the daughter of Solomon, as wife, Baana, the son of Ahilud in Tanakh, Megiddo, and all Beth Shean, which is beside Zaratan below Jezreel. From Beth Shean to Abel Mehalah, as far as the other side of Jachnium. If you get yourself a good um, study Bible in the back, they usually have maps, and they'll actually tell you, you can find these in some of these areas, and it'll tell you where it is in Israel, if you're interested. Ben-Geber in Ramoth-Gilead, to him belonged the towns of Jair, the son of Manasseh in Gilead. To him also belonged the region of Argob in Bashan, 60 large cities with walls and bronze gate bars. Ahinadab, the son of Ido in Mahanaim, Ahimaz in Naphtali, he also took Bazmath, the daughter of Solomon, his wife. Manah, the son of Hushai in Asher and Elath. Jehoshaphat, the son of Perua in Issachar. Shimei, the son of Elon, Benjamin, Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan, 
and he was only the only governor who was in the land. Okay, so what we see is an official record of the king's cabinet. Now, this is not unlike what we would have today as the presidential cabinet. You know, a lot of the way government works, usually the better forms and ways of government, are taken from people that have gone before us, kingdoms that have been for a long time. So we kind of look at some of the administrative and, you know, you know type of managing uh, styles, and we kind of incorporate that. So if you look at our uh, president's cabinet, we have what? The Department of Commerce, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of the Interior. So that's the presidential cabinet. So it's not, not very different. Solomon appointed men over the priesthood, the army, collecting taxes, the royal palace, recording government business, labor force, etc. He had 12 governors over 12 districts, probably commensurate. They say that I never did a square mileage comparison that Israel's close to the size of New Jersey. And we have counties, right? We have uh, townships, right? And the United States is broken up into states and then uh, counties, townships, villages, etc., all the way down. And what happens is this was an administrative way to run geographical areas by taking small bites, right? To have a large country where there's a lot of cash flow, a lot of supplies, if you break it up into small districts, it's just common sense. Um, you could administrate it easier. Solomon couldn't handle all the affairs of the kingdom alone. He needed to delegate authority. So if you run a business, you know what I'm talking about, right? You have to delegate authority. You can't do everything yourself. You'll burn out. Even Moses couldn't do everything himself. He was advised, I think it was by his father-in-law, hey, you know, break it up into pieces. Let men under you be, you know, and you, you're kind of like the Supreme Court if there's things that they can't handle. You know, even in our church, we have a flow chart, right? We have our pastors. I was just talking to Pastor Paul this morning about worship and what a great job he does. I rarely interfere. I'm blessed when I come in on a Sunday or a Wednesday. I'm blessed by the selection of music. He's a very capable person. Pastor Vinny with the teen ministry, and, you know, I'm, I'm really, really blessed in that respect. As a matter of fact, I, had a, a, I got a call from my pastor this morning, and he was actually commenting, because, you know, people go back and forth to churches, and he's like, you got some really good people over there. Your church, you're, you're really blessed that you can delegate and... and um, it's so, so perfect for the message this evening, and was said this morning. But, you know, that's important to be able to find quality people that you could give them stuff to do, and then they raise up. That's really called discipleship. Right? Discipleship goes through, you know, any type of business, spiritual mentoring. Um, it really has a, a very wide net, so to speak. Now, Ahishar handled the king's household. Remember, the Bible records history. It's not always pretty history. So when I tell you that Solomon had eventually 700 wives and 300 concubines, that's not a good thing. All right? He was a sinner, just like we are. Sometimes when you're in higher positions, you sin bigger. Right? So this guy had 700 or plus 300 and all these children. There was a lot of mouths to feed. Plus we find that Solomon had thousands of horses. They actually found stables out in those. They did some digs and archaeology and, and there's inscriptions and such. So we actually find these things out in the Middle East when archaeologists go and pick up a shovel and a brush and they start digging through things. Solomon had a lot of horses too. Um, all this mouths to feed, the horses, they needed tax money, manpower. And understand that this contributed to the resentment of the people. In 1 Samuel 8, if you remember, when we covered 1 Samuel, God says, I want to be the king for the children of Israel. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, 
well, we don't want God as a king. We want an earthly king, you know, the, with the robe and the, and the crown. And I'm, I'm just embellishing a little bit. But that's what we want. So Samuel goes back to God, and he's, he's really dejected. And God says, Samuel, it's, it's not about you, brother. <laughs> Listen, he, they're upset with me. They don't want me to reign over them as a king. They've rejected me. Now, you let the Israelites know that I will give them a king, but let me tell you what the king is going to do. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your women into the labor force. He's going to take your young men. He's going to need money for his royal palace, and it's just going to go to excess. And this is exactly what's happening. David, I thought, was a little bit more restricted in his extravagance. Solomon was not. And today, I've got to be honest with you, look at our government. You know, When they say in the hundreds of millions of dollars, money disappears, money's wasted, Really, has anything changed in mankind? Right? I've heard the expression, uh, it's the same circus, just different clowns. You know, we see it in our government. The more power, the more money they get, the more waste. They're not, no one's keeping track of what's going on, and it's, it's not pretty. And it, it leads to resentment. Government becomes resented after a while. It becomes bloated and a burdensome, a burdensome stone. So what we find, and I'm going back and forth from our country to you know, thousands of years difference, same story. What we find is in 1 Kings 12, which we're going to get to, after Solomon's death, his son Rehoboam, now remember, the kingdom is still united, and the people come to Rehoboam and say, listen, you know, your father put a heavy burden on us. And I'm paraphrasing. This is, this is, you can read it yourself, 1 Kings 12. He goes, this, is, this is crushing us. You, know, you need to alleviate this. And Rehoboam's attitude was something about the little finger to the waist, and, and this, this wordplay basically said to the children of Israel, I'm going to tax you even more. And you know what happened? The kings lost almost 90% of the kingdom. The top 10 tribes said, see you later. We're, we're done with this. You, you're killing us. We're, we're revolting. And they, they, they chose their own king. Then you had a competition between the 10 tribes in the north and the two in the south. And it was just ugly. But why? Because of this extravagance, this excess. You know, God blessed him, but he, he, I think he really enjoyed the lifestyle. Right? It's, it's the flesh. It's, it can't be tamed sometimes. Verse 20, continue on. It says, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand of the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. There's prosperity. So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river, meaning the river Euphrates, to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen. What does it say for one day? 20 oxen from the pastures, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. Man, it was a smorgasbord every day in the kingdom. (laughs) If you were up in that area and you were under the king, boy, you lived pretty good. Uh, For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river, again, Euphrates, from Tifsah even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on every side around him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree. Again, another picture of prosperity even for the individual. From Dan as far as Bathsheba or Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Remember what God said about not multiplying horses? not multiplying wives that he was uh, I think he failed math because he just kept multiplying and multiplying and God told him not to do that 
And these governors, each man in his month, provided food for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table. There was no lack in their supply. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and steeds for each man according to his charge. This was the height of prosperity right, under Solomon's kingdom. I think there's a warning to them and to us. Don't abuse it. Don't abuse it. Right? And I can say, looking back in my life, in times where there, I'm more concerned about my decisions, in ter- I've got to be honest with you, for my own life, I'm more concerned with my decisions in prosperity than I am when I'm really struggling. Because we find that when we're really struggling, you know, we make all these promises to God. You know, we're on our knees and we're always on our face. And sometimes when prosperity hits, we think that we can do it by ourselves or we're like special or something. It's really a self-deception deception of, of living in these fallen bodies. So don't abuse it, right? And I got to tell you, I've seen people leave the church because of um, negative things and trials. I've seen people leave the church because of prosperity. People are pr- I'm praying for this. I'm praying big. Praying for this. Praying for that. Praying. They get it. They're gone. Now that becomes their whole focus. And it's a sad thing to watch. And, and I think this is, this is Solomon. So, you can see these cycles. Uh, excess can lead to debauchery, debauchery to depravity. Not for nothing, guys, gals. If he has 700 wives and 300 concubines, no one ever says this, I've never heard this, but he's got a sex addiction. He's got some type of issue, okay? And, and you know, I've never heard that preached. There's something wrong with that picture. Just saying, okay? So, excess, debauchery, depravity, lack of God's protection usually comes after these things. Then comes the poverty, spiritual and physical poverty, desolation. Look at the children of Israel. This was their cycles. They had their cycles. And all this kind of stuff led to uh, desolation and then usually repentance. Oh, Lord, (laughs) this is so terrible. Forgiveness, because God is very merciful. Restoration. And then the cycle would start all over again. But it doesn't have to be like that. As believers and dwelled with the Holy Spirit, if we have a relationship with God, we can avoid these cycles. doesn't mean we always do, but we can avoid these cycles. Do we know enough to curb ourselves in prosperity? For the next person here who hits it big, let me just ask you that question and let it stay with you. When you hit it big, when something, all of a sudden, there's a windfall in blessings, can you handle it? Please, stay close to the Lord through all that. Agur, <clears throat> Proverbs 38, 30, verse 8, Agur, some believe Agur was actually Solomon writing as an, an alias. Nobody knows much, really much about Agur. He said in Proverbs 30, verse 8, he said, give me, give me neither poverty nor riches. That's fascinating. What do we want? You know, you hear people on the street today, oh, I, want to, I want to win the lottery. If I could just get a million dollars, my life would change. Oh, you betcha it'll change. But Agur said, give me neither, nobody wants poverty. Nobody, I don't know anybody who prays for poverty. I know I don't. But he says, give me neither riches as well. He put them on equal playing field as something negative. Isn't that impressive? He knew something. He knew something. I'm just going to say this as well. If you know someone who you have an association to who's a believer or calls themselves a believer, and they are in prosperity, and they're flaunting it, and they're a bad witness the best thing that you could do for them is pray for brokenness. I say some things that people say, that's harsh. No, it's really not. 
it's good for them, and it's also good for those that are thinking that they're Christians and they're not living the lifestyle. Pray for brokenness. You know, brokenness is a good thing. Don't partake in their folly. Verse 21, just to look at the borders. You know, in my mind, I can, I just have the, I've seen the map so many times, I can picture it. But in my mind, I do it from, from, from kind of this way. I actually probably should have put a map up, but you have Israel, right? And to their left or to the west is the Mediterranean, right? The Mediterranean Sea. You go south, you hit Africa. You go north, you hit Turkey, Europe, etc. To Israel's right or to her east is, you keep going, you have the, uh, the Euphrates River, which actually runs uh, on a, uh, a, a southeast kind of direction. It goes from S- the Syria area and it goes through Iraq and it eventually comes down. So when he says the prosperity went all the way to the Euphrates, it's quite possible that at one point Israel covered, now you've got to check this out on the map later, Israel covered uh, part of, at least part of Iraq, part of Syria, okay, uh, Mediterranean to the west, to the southwest border you had Egypt, maybe they took the, the Sinai Peninsula as well, and to the southeast would be at least a chunk of Saudi Arabia and of course Jordan to the right. So when you look at a map next time, look at the Mediterranean, go all the way east to the Euphrates and see how much of a swath of land Israel had in their prosperity. Now they didn't keep it. They didn't keep it. And a lot of division within the nation caused them to not to be able to keep it as well. Verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, birds, creeping things, and of fish. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So Solomon's wisdom is, is limitless. And this is how God can bless. His blessings are limitless. It's up to his sovereignty. But does God bless for the sake of making us selfish? Really, I mean, do we ask for blessings so that we can say, me, 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 mine, 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 and look at me, I'm blessed by God? I don't think so. Remember, Solomon's wisdom and the nation's prosperity was a reflection of the personhood of God. Think about that for a minute. What did God want? He wanted, yes, he wanted the Messiah to be the light of the nations, but he also, prior to the Messiah, Israel was supposed to be drawing in the pagans to show the world the true monotheistic God. Right? Do you want blessing? Do you want wisdom? Then pair it with serving God. I'm a firm believer that we shouldn't be asking for stuff just to enlarge ourselves, you know? I mean, I know I've talked to singles who I want a mate, I want a mate, I want a mate, and then they get married and they're like, I want out of this, you know what I'm saying? Uh, You know, your heart's got to be right even for certain blessings. Marriages, that's one of those blessings that it takes work. You know, it takes input. Um, You don't live together as singles. You now start to give stuff up. You know, you have to... Listen, look at Adam. Adam was given Eve while he was serving God. 
And what did Eve do? She helped him. Unfortunately, she helped him sin at some point, but um, they both went into that willingly. God knows the desires of our hearts. Um, yeah. Verse 32. It says, Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs. So we have a fraction of his Proverbs, but, you know, did they get lost through wars and natural disasters? Who knows? But we have what God wants us to have. And I'm sure someday when we get to be with him, you know, we'll be learning so much, it'll be amazing. Solomon had a flair for the extravagant. But what we see in the scripture is that he also had a simple side, right? Verse 32, he spoke about nature, trees, birds, animals, creeping things. And I got to tell you, that, the, that nature has a way to soothe the troubled mind, the burdened mind, the overstressed and overpressured mind. I have to tell you that when, when there's a lot of things on my plate, I love nature too. You know, in the spring, I can't wait. You know, my bees will come out again. I just sit there and watch them. People are like, well, what's so exciting about bees? Sometimes just their humming is just soothing. Or there are times that I'll walk through in the summer the gardens that my wife has planted and see what's blooming now and what's, I can dig it. Today, I just went to my, my favorite spot, which is about three-quarters of a mile from my house. I walked the dog there, and it's a beautiful stream. And it, it just, it's just a, such a soothing noise. And I just stood there, and I looked at it, and my dog was like, so what are we doing here? And I said, it's cool. I'm praying. You know, just relax. She's always, you know, going somewhere. But um, it was very refreshing. It was very soothing. You know, it was just the time to pray. Honestly, I don't think, that, and I, I'm pretty sure that the technology that we have today, the man-centered stuff, will never soothe us and, and calm us as much as the things that God has made. I'm a firm believer in that. Maybe it's because I'm getting old, I don't know. But, um, you know, Solomon had a lot to do. But these things, I think, he, he really probably enjoyed. They're just the simple things, right? I want to read one thing to you, and this is the sad part of this whole situation. Alexander White, I think he was Scottish, he expressed this. He said that, this quote, he said, the secret worm, secret worm, right, it's figurative, was gnawing all the time in the royal staff upon which Solomon leaned. Solomon didn't have the steadfast devotion to the Lord that characterized his father, which would be David, and his many pagan wives were planting seeds in his heart that would bear bitter fruit. Some of these old-time preachers, they, uh, they really know how to hit it home. That's, that's kind of scary. Uh, that's pretty sad. What is it in our lives that we can really think about when we hear that? And say, personally, what is the, the secret worm that could be gnawing at my staff? I don't think any, anybody here has a royal staff, but, you know, we, what the things that Solomon did, his behavior is his characteristics, um, the things that he allowed in his life eventually caused pain to not only himself, his family, his progeny, but also the nation. So usually bigger authority, bigger problems, you know, bigger area of influence that hurts people, but we can hurt ourselves. We can hurt those that are close to us and those that we love. So we have to think about that at a time. You know, I've seen many come forward even excited for the Lord and then fizzle out in a few months and it's heartbreaking so hard to watch, you know? Um, yeah, and then some that just get so excited, it's an emotional thing about whatever, and then their, their passion and commitment level fizzles out. You know, God wants to give us a strong, worm-proof staff, but sometimes we end up leaning on the wormy one, and that's a problem. Under Solomon, 
uh, territory and people were enlarged, but these were supposed to be, remember, under the conditions set forth in God's word. Again, he didn't just give it to him just so they could flaunt it to everybody. There were provisions, there were conditions that had to come with this. Right? The, the, the wives and the horses and the prosperity, again, only lasted as long as Solomon reigned. After he reigned and he died, everything changed very quickly. And isn't that sad? You could build, just like building a building, how, how long does it take to build a, a brick, like a church like this? You know, in, in probably a matter of an hour's time, a wrecking ball could knock this whole place down. And we have to look at our lives like that too. You know, it's, we, we can be so careful with building and building and building things in our lives. And then some big wrecking ball comes and just smashes it down. Sometimes we're building the wrecking ball as we're building our buildings. And it's just a matter of time before it swings and knocks everything over. It's a sad thing to watch in people's lives. I don't rejoice when somebody of, of especially, you know, this happens even in churches. And we all know, we've all lived long enough to see ministers and stuff, you know, build these, for, you know, for a heart to reach people, and then it all gets destroyed over some sinful acts. It's a sad thing to watch. Solomon was a mixed bag. Great administration, probably better than his, his father David. Finances, management was second to none. But he sowed seeds of discord in the nation of Israel and in his own heart. Let's move to chapter 5. It says, Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. Then Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet? But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build a house for my name. Now therefore command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. So Tyre and Sidon, Lebanon, these, these are used interchangeable but it's the same place. Tyre, Sidon, different cities. Um, we, we know we, there's established borders of modern-day Lebanon, which is to the north of Israel, or northwest from Israel now. So Solomon, he's getting ready to build the temple, and he's going to use quality materials with the temple of God. But he didn't use the greatest materials to build his relationship with God on a spiritual sense. Spare no expense, stone cutters, we're going to read this, carpenters, laborers to the tune of 30,000 plus, all these laborers working hard to build God's house, which was admirable. However, the building blocks that he used in his own heart for his relationship with the person of God, understand this, were not really there. What are we building? Right? What are we building in our relationship with the Lord? What type of spiritual materials are we using? Are we giving God our best or do we give Him leftover stuff from other things that we're doing in life? Important uh, point to, uh, question to ask. Again, Tyre and Sidon is modern-day Lebanon. To this day, the cedar tree, it's even on their flag, I believe. It's on their coat of arms, their, their flag. It's the cedar tree is the symbol of Lebanon today. 
Now, they had forests that were incredible. And I think it was the Ottoman Turks in their horrible conquest for power. Um, they cut down and deforested or burnt down a lot of the trees in what we know as modern-day Lebanon. But to this day, it's still the symbol in this beautiful forest with these beautiful trees. They can pretty much make anything out of wood because of these gorgeous trees. I want to read to you 2 Chronicles 2, 3 through 16. And I'm going to kind of go through it quickly because it's really the letter that Solomon sends to Hiram and then Hiram sends a response. Hiram over there in, in Lebanon, and he sends a response. So let me just read this to you because it gives a little bit of detail. Solomon sent to Hiram, king of Tyre, in verse 3 of Second Chronicles 2. As you have dealt with, my, with David, my father, and sent him cedars to build himself a house, his own house, to dwell in, so deal with me. Behold, I'm building a temple for the name of the Lord my God to dedicate it to him, to burn before, before him sweet incense for the continual showbread, for the burnt offerings, morning and evening. This is witnessing, by the way, just so you know. Check as we start to read this. Now, he could have just said, hey, I'll give you a million dollars, give me a bunch of trees, send me a few guys, cut some stuff for me, have a nice day, here's your receipt. But he now di didn't get the deal closed yet, but he's, again, Solomon was a mixed bag. When he was on his game, he really was. He's witnessing, telling him about his God. Let me keep going. He says, burn offerings uh, morning and evening on the Sabbath, on the new moons, and on the set feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel. And the temple which I built will be great, for our God is greater than all gods, even yours. <laughs> you know? Uh, but who is able to build him a temple since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him? If I was a pagan, I would say, you've got to tell me more about this God. I mean, I heard a little bit under David. Tell me more. Who am I then that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him? Therefore, send me at once a man skillful to work in gold and silver, in bronze and iron, in purple and crimson and blue, who has skill to engrave with the skillful men who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Also, send me cedar and cypress and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants have skill to cut timber in Lebanon. And indeed, my servants will be with your servants to prepare timber for me in abundance. Hopefully there was some witnessing going on. For the temple which I am about to build shall be great and wonderful, and indeed I will give to your servants, the hewers who cut timber, 20,000 cores of ground, or that's 13,480 uh, uh, British units, cubic feet, something like that. It's a lot. Uh, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of oil. There's a lot of stuff here. Then King uh, Hiram, king of Tyre, answered in writing, which he sent to Solomon. So here's the response. Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. I don't know if Hiram ever got saved, but wow, this is impressive. Hiram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth, for he has given King David a wise son, endowed with prudence and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. And now... I have sent a skillful man endowed with understanding, Huram, my master craftsman, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan, and his father was a man of Tyr, skilled in working gold and silver, bronze and iron, stone and wood, purple and blue, fine linen and crimson, and to make any engraving and to accomplish any plan which may be given to him with your skillful men and with the skillful men of my lord, David your father. Now therefore the wheat, the barley, the oil, and the wine which my lord has spoken of, let him send to his servants. And we will cut wood from Lebanon as much as you need 
we will bring it to you in rafts by the Sea of Joppa, or what's now known as Haffa, and you, or Yaffa, excuse me, and you will carry it up to Jerusalem. This is pretty impressive. First Chronicles 28, I'm not going to read that, but it basically gives Solomon the plans for the temple. God was very clear because everything that he was to do for the temple and the, and the measurements and the engravings and the different pieces of furniture had to do with something that was originally in heaven that he was trying to make a copy of, right? It's almost like God in the Old Testament was using parables. What's a parable? Something that we would understand and God takes it and turns it into spiritual truth. Pretty neat, huh? Oh, the Old Testament and the New Testament are so far apart. Says who? They're, they mesh with each other, right? So I like it. <laughs> verse 7. Verse Kings, verse Kings 5, verse 7. So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over this great people. Then Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and the cypress logs. My servant shall bring them down from Lebanon, Lebanon by the sea. I will float them in rafts by the sea to the place you indicate to me and will have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. So Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of pressed oil. Thus Solomon gave to Hiram year by year. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty together. There's a lot to do here. Um, You've you got to think that Lebanon is a coastal country, surrounded entirely on the left or west side by the Mediterranean Sea. So they, they cut down these tremendous trees, they put them on these rafts, and they, it's just a lot easier, right? They didn't have 18-wheelers or trains back then, or probably they wouldn't have done this. Um, it just was a lot easier to move things by water. So they moved it south about 100 miles or more down uh, the western coast of you know, Israel and, and Lebanon. They move it south. And then they stop at um, what was back then known as Joppa, is now known as Haffa. Uh, and then what they would do is they would go east about 35 miles at that point, that port city, and they would um, you know, get, get it to Jerusalem proper, and then they would use it to... Uh, fashion and built the temple with. So all quality materials. Verse 13, last few verses for the evening. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts, and there were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens, 80,000 who quarried stones in the mountain. Remember, people say, well, they look at like the wonders of the world, and they say, how did they build these things? Well, when you get 80,000 people together, you know, you can move stuff, okay? Uh, and believe it or not, they had uh, primitive forms of hydraulics. Um, they weren't dumb people. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, uh, you, when you look at these old buildings, a lot of times when they put the stones together, they didn't even use mortar. You could put a, a knife blade in there, and it, it wouldn't you know, it wouldn't get, it's just amazing. You know, you could, it would be hard to get it in there because they're so close. That's impressive. Even some of the, well, I don't want to go into detail, but it's actually fascinating to look at ancient structures. You know, we, we, we're in a hurry. We put bricks and stones and mortar and stuff, but the way they laid it and cut it, 
it fit so perfectly that you couldn't move it anyway once it was set. Um, and they still have stones over in the ravines outside of the Temple Mount, out of Jerusalem proper, these huge stones that when the Romans came and destroyed that temple, uh, that you know, they have these tremendously long stones, some 20-something feet, and they're, they're hundreds of tons. So it was an incredible feat that these people were able to do this. I don't, I don't think it was a union job, you know, I don't, <laughs> this is too heavy, we can't lift this, but they uh, eventually, they did it, they were told to do it. 80,000 who quarried stones in the mountain, besides 3,300 from the chief of Solomon's deputies, who supervised the people who labored in the work, and the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, hewn stones, to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Gebelites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. Pretty impressive. So you got stone cutters, carpenters, laborers, uh, overseers, uh, shift work, <laughs> right? Pretty, pretty amazing. A few points I just want to take from this. I want to look at four points. Again, Solomon was a mixed bag. You know, he when he was when he was good, he was really good. When he sinned, he sinned big. I would say, number one, be careful in your prosperity. Prosper- Solomon, um, he liked the good life. He liked the excesses, the luxury, the horses, the women, the prestige. And a lot of these things helped to pull him away from the Lord. It was subtle. That's the thing about Satan. He'll, he'll do it so slowly, so subtly. You know, you can plant trees next to incredible large stones. Just give it some time. Eventually, the roots will expand, expand, expand and they'll put a, a hairline fracture little by little each year. Eventually, they'll break that tremendous stone. <laughs> it could do more than modern equipment can do. It's just a very slow process. Pressure, 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 hairline crack, the thing is done. It's in two. Same thing with our lives. Right? We let things in there. They, they get in there. They worm their way in. Pressure, 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 subtle, subtle, subtle. We don't see the fissures, but they're there. And before you know it, we're divided careful in your prosperity. It's amazing that the prosperity gospel actually legitimizes this stuff and even is, they always bring up Solomon as their proof text. Uh, as a spiritual man, I wouldn't want Solomon to be my proof text. Read, read Ecclesiastes, you know? Not a good ending. Number two, any blessing that we use should not be to glorify self, it should be to glorify God, right? And, and in, in additionally, or initially, I think that was the case. Right? Even when we got this building, you know, we were in the school and it was just a lot of work for years. And like we were rejoicing, you know, the building, the building. And it's like, you know what, let's stay small in our hearts. Let's not get carried away with the building and legit, being legitimized and all. And that's so weird. Even in Calvary's, they do this thing. Like you're not legitimate unless you've got a building. That's wrong. I'm sorry. I mean, there's some awesome ministries in schools and rented property, properties. Um, three. We have to be careful of the worm in the staff that we might be leaning on. And the question, like he says, Alexander White, is the fruit bitter or is the fruit pure? Right? Evaluate, self-evaluation. What are the connections, the characteristics or associate, associations that we have that are sowing the seeds of spiritual declension and eventually spiritual destruction? And four, Solomon spared no expense to build quality of God's house. But he did spare the expense, and he did get cheap with the spiritual um, 
pieces and um, you know, materials that were used to build his relationship with God, the person of God, much more important. It's like we can do things on the outside. We can do, we can be serving in the church. We could be doing a lot of stuff, but our hearts may be far from God. I just read about uh, the Newsboys, uh, one of their uh, founding singers or musicians. Uh, he's like, oh, I'm an atheist now after all these years of playing Christian music. Some Christians are like, oh, I'm scared. I'm not scared. He's got problems. He needs to be prayed for. That doesn't affect me in the least bit. Well, but there's other, other in, 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 the, uh, in, in the worship and you know, the Christian's worship scene, and, and they're, they're becoming atheists. Well, maybe they were never saved to begin with. Maybe they were never really explained the truth about salvation. Maybe they're a prodigal that we need to pray for them to come home, but it shouldn't affect us. Pastors fall. Worship people fall. We just keep, did they die for our sins? If they didn't, we just keep following Jesus. Keep your eyes on the cross. Amen? All right, we're all awake tonight. That's awesome. I would say this last thing. It's the little things. Think about this. It's the little things that we do or we don't do that have a huge impact on a relationship with the Lord down the road. Remember, Satan lives in the subtle and he lives in the patience. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit, right? We're supposed to have patience. He has more patience than we could ever have. He will play with us for years and say, ah, that didn't work. Let me try a different lure. And he'll just keep going until he finds the one that snags us. The little things that we do or we don't do show us if we have built the relationship with God that will either stand the test of time or like Solomon be destroyed in a matter of time. And it's only something that we can know and that we have to go to prayer about. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.